What's up, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Premier League podcast here on FanRag Sports. My name is Sebastian Noren, with me is Elliot Niblock. No Polly today, as we are recording at a somewhat awkward time here. Lunch. I don't know if it's, yeah, we're recording exactly midday. I feel like plenty of podcasts are recorded midday. Lunchtime. Also nap time for my daughter. So we'll see how this things go. <laughs> if we start hearing a screaming baby, then I'll be uh, cutting it short. But we'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay, so first and foremost, we got to talk about that game on Thursday between Manchester City and Arsenal. City. <sighs> Do we have to? Do we, we really have to? Have to? Yep. There's <laughs> I a, know. A lot of things to go through here, so yeah, I don't. I there's both a lot and not many, but I, I, I'm cutting you off, Seb. I'll let you you set us up, and I'll crumble it all not down. <laughs> okay, so Man City came out very strong in this game, high on confidence after winning the Carabao Cup, and it was three nothing City at halftime, and this game was super super over. Uh, to make things worse, Aubameyang missed a penalty for Arsenal to, you know, just pour some salt into the wounds, that open gash that is being an Arsenal supporter right now. He just, I think you used the exact same metaphor last episode. I might have, but <laughs> now it was like he took a whole, you know, whole dump truck full of sand and just poured it, poured it all that's over the big, Arsenal fence. That's a big wound if it'll fit a dump truck full of small particulate matter well there's a lot of arsenal fans so they all line up and then the drum truck (laughs) they they just go yeah collective wound and just drive by and just pour out the salt and i'm sure it stinks i'm sure it stinks really bad okay so we're we're getting into the gangrene levels of the arsenal wounds here yes i mean paul Paul merson went out and said that he does not believe wenger will be there next season and I mean, you gotta agree with him at this point, right? Or do you think the uh, do you board have, no. is? You do you really you don't think have the, the board cannot be content with this? I, you, I don't know, Seb. I think that the Ars- the you don't have enough faith in the Arsenal board's ability to be utterly complacent as results go sour. And granted, this is an unprecedented blow in. What can only, from the long-durée point of view, be considered a long-standing decline for Arsenal Football Club over the course of the last decade, pockmarked by some moments of brilliance, right? Some FA Cup victories, uh, I, you know, a handful of phenomenal derby games, you know, the back-to-back 5-2 defeats within one calendar year against Spurs, both coming from behind. I mean, that was... Those are the moments that you live for as a supporter, but nobody believes that that is the be-all, end-all, except except at board level, certainly at ownership level, if you are totally willing to just cash the checks, then yes. I mean, honestly, I think that what's frustrating to me and the reason that you might be right, that I think that there is a chance that Arson's on his way out. I mean, the board is, you know, they pretty blatantly leaked a bunch of names of potential successors. And I think that that's an internal power struggle between mostly Gazidis and Wenger, you know, and that's kind of ugly to see anyway. But that said, the the frustrating thing is that if the board takes any action, it's not because they care about the results in and of themselves. It's because 
they care about damage being done to the quote unquote Arsenal brand, right? Because the bottom line for them is cash. And I don't believe that they're going to talk a big game, but the collective will of the board, such as we've seen it played out in their actual actions by which they must be judged over the last several years is that cash is all they care about. Cash is king and trophies aren't even queen. There may be court gesture and that's about it for them. So yeah, if the Arsenal brand is damaged, if they think that revenue might significantly fall, it, not just speaking about the loss of Champions League revenue, then maybe they'll make a change. But it's only to defend the brand. It's not to actually push for silverware at secondary to the cash cow that is Arsenal Football Club. Well, I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, missing out on Champions League, that is a very significant amount of money that you lose out on. So if they don't win the Europa League and they finish right now, they're in sixth. Let's say they finish there. I got to say, I got to say he goes. And then, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they went on like a double preseason tour. So they hit up North America and Asia just to milk the fans well yeah but again you know and it's easy to spin these things right the way that you spin it from board level is you say we're an ambitious football club we made the change that needed to happen probably it needed to happen one two three years ago but at least it's happened now we've made that change at manager and we understand that our fans are frustrated, and so we're gonna go. We're gonna go to the fans, and we're gonna let them see the team, and we're gonna let them pay only sixty-five dollars U.S. to see the youth squad, yeah. right? Like it's, it, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right that 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 is a, a viable strategy. And I've just been listening to Gazidis and his counterparts spin so many tall tales about ambition for so long that. You know, Jaded doesn't even begin to cover it. So while I agree, maybe, maybe Arson goes, I'm not overly confident. I mean, I, I think that from a football standpoint, you know, clearly he's got to go. I think that any other club, literally any other club, even other, you know, clubs with longstanding managers, although he's clearly the longest ten tenured at the moment, if we were to lose to Brighton, and we have a, a woeful record on the road, remember, if we lose to Brighton on Sunday, um, any other manager's gone. He's sacked, right? Like, we're 27 points off the league. We've lost, at that point, I believe, we will have won two out of 12. And any other manager's gone. And th they still will almost certainly let him coast out until the end of the season, even if it means an abysmal and unprecedented mid-table finish for an Arsene Wenger arsenal. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you there. I think if they wouldn't have had... AC Milan coming up, if they were already knocked out of the Europa League, then if they lose to Brighton, I could say, you know, just just cut ties. Just do it. At the same time, he's been there so long, it is, I don't know, there's no dignified way of getting rid of him at this point. Because even, no, I mean, even he... if you let him go in the summer, it's still going to be like, okay, well, he didn't get a chance to say goodbye to the fans. Well, I mean... The thing is that he's been he's been saying goodbye to the fans for a long time. You know, ten years ago, even even amidst the trophy drought, say six years ago in 2012, it was I, I remember standing at Blind Pig in Manhattan, hearing. Uh, granted, it was a seven goal glut match, so it was easy to be buoyant about it, but. 
hearing chants of Arsene Wenger's Red White Army, you know, ring out through the packed pub. I haven't heard that sung in years. You know, granted, I'm not a season ticket holder. Would that I were. But it's it, he's been out of favor with the fans. And the idea of banners saying Wenger out would have been unthinkable. And now it's not only unthinkable, it's a laughable meme. It's been around so long. Yeah, now we got planes and blimps. And I don't know what they're going to do here next. Flying pig. Yeah, I mean, the, the flying pig comes full circle there. Yep. I, I don't know. So, I mean, the... The fact, well, let's let's speak about what happened on the pitch at the Emirates last night. A better team beat a weaker team, full stop, right? But that, and you can sum it up that way pretty succinctly, right? And it's, it, you know, you have to not not to paper over the cracks in Arsenal, which are you know myriad and <laughs> just use your wound metaphor, huge and gaping enough to fill at least a dump truck of sand. Man City played phenomenally. You know, all of their goals were good goals. None of them were, you know, they, none of them were just like a really lucky effort. Maybe the last one that kind of dribbled over the line a bit, but, Mm -hmm. but you got the, you got the impression that all of them were born of Man City being a stronger team filled with quality, but also going against a weaker side that's woeful in defense who made it easy for him. They went into halftime with the game one. They took their foot off the gas. And even if uh, Aubameyang took a poor penalty, even if he'd scored it, it's hard not to see City either saying, okay, well, we're just going to keep holding on to possession and dare you to get two goals. Or, on the other hand, you know, kick it up a notch and say, right, we could hit you for five. We're just not doing it because Pep Guardiola has respect for Arsene Wenger and we know that you're no threat to us. Yeah, and I mean, the thing that would worry me and... That's what we've seen when we've been talking Manchester United, just how, you know, lackluster some of their performance can be and boring at some points or a lot of points. Um, But the lack of hunger for revenge here by the Arsenal players. After getting beat in the Carabao Cup final, say that five times real quick, uh, then I want to see some passion. I want to see some hunger. I want to see some okay, we might not be better than what they are. Yeah, they have phenomenal players, but at least put in the shift and try. Because, I mean, it looked yeah. it looked pretty bad after they went up to nothing. I mean, Seb, with, with a few shining exceptions, and I say shining because many of them were sterling and one of them, indeed, silverware, Arsene Wenger has not been able to get his team up for big games in a year. More than a year, you know the the standout exceptions being Manchester City in the FA Cup final, Chelsea in the FA Cup final, Tottenham earlier this season, last calendar year. Besides that, I mean, maybe you could argue that game against United in which De Gea had a heroic performance that will undoubtedly go down as the best of one of the best of his career. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter how long he plays. But still, you know, that was a game in which they fell asleep early. They went behind. They could have had a heroic comeback. They didn't because of a heroic goalkeeping performance. But, you know, they still have themselves to blame for being switched off at the kickoff. And Arsene Wenger is not, you know, I, I you know, if, if you're listening right now and you can show me a string of three consecutive matches in which... Arsenal were switched on and dominant 
for 90 minutes, three times consecutively, I, you know, I will be happy to buy you a beer because <laughs> I don't, I, I cannot remember it. I honestly cannot remember it because, and the, the saddest thing about watching us get demolished by City twice over in a week, in a span of five days, is they did it with the exact style of football Arsenal once were renowned for. The style of football that made me fall in love with the club. But Arsenal are not only, you know, woeful in defense, not only often toothless in attack, but I was speaking about the brand earlier, right? Strictly from a money-making standpoint. But the brand of football that they put on the pitch that's been associated with Arsene Wenger so long is totally gone. Like, I, I don't know where it went. I can see some of the same players. I can see players of inarguable quality, but the consistent kinds of combinations to make you say, yes, this is indeed the beautiful game played in the most beautiful way possible. Those things were what let me look over or look the other way when Wenger's sides had defensive lapses, right? You know, when they switched off and lost possession in midfield, I thought, okay, that's all right, because going forward, we play dangerous and beautiful football. And that's another thing that we have not seen consistently, save flashes of brilliance in a very, very long time. Yep. Uncertain future at Arsenal. We will take our break here. When we come back, we'll preview some of the games for this upcoming weekend. And then, of course, give our scoring predictions. So stick around. Okay, and we're back. The big, big fixture of the weekend is on Sunday when Manchester City takes on Chelsea. Uh, one thing of note here, Antonio Conte at the uh, pregame press conference got a question about the ambition going forward for Chelsea. And he sort of bounced that question off and said, it's not a question for me. The club has to show ambition, not the coach. The coach has to work every day very hard, but the club has to show the ambition. I mean, with him being sort of open about the you know, Chelsea's lack of transfers here since day one. Do, do you think he has a right to say, put, put, you know, point the finger at the board and be like, talk to those guys? Ah, uh, yes and no. I mean, I spoke in the first half of the show about kind of manager and board power plays. And this to me seems like one of those, right? I mean, for all the world, it seems that Conte is going to be gone in the summer, you know. And while my lack of faith in Arsenal's ambition at board level from a footballing perspective and not merely a brand and bottom line perspective makes me hesitant to say absolutely Wenger will be gone, I think absolutely Conte will be gone. And I think that it's not, you know, and that's not simply down to ambition. That's down to Roman Abramovich power plays. But at the same time, I, I don't know, you know, is it maybe just because we haven't seen it in so long, the argument would say, yes, you do need to buy after you win the title to see it to mount the title defense. Right. But is it is it so crazy to think that a team that won the league last year would be able to at least challenge for the title with the same squad the year following? No, absolutely not. But I do think you need to inject some new blood to sort of keep that hunger up. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I. But I'm, I mean, I'm that could also that could also be a lifting up 
you know, players within, I mean, if you have good academy prospects, you know, let them wet their toes a game here and there and sort of push it, push it that way internally instead of just like, hmm, who is the shiny toy here this summer? Who did well in an international tournament? I mean, that's what we're going to see. We always have that. After the World Cup, someone's going to have a great tournament and they're going to get bought for a ridiculous amount of money and they're never going to live up to that again. Yeah, who will be the next James Rodriguez? Exactly. Although he's a very, very good player. No, he is a a phenomenal player. But, you know, you, you see those performances on the world's largest stage. Because make no mistake, the Premier League, in my opinion the best professional club league in the world. The Champions League is a phenomenal competition, but the World Cup is the sport's biggest stage. And when you excel on the sport's biggest stage, one might expect that, okay, well, you should be able to kick ass in the smaller vaudeville scenes. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> smaller yeah. vaudeville scenes, of course, the Bernabeu not being exactly tiny. No. But yeah, it doesn't always work that way. Yeah, no, but I think that this is where, you know, this con- these comments from Conte strike me as as much power play as uh you know genuine expression of sentiment insofar as yeah okay you want the club to show ambition but again you don't want it to be just the shiny new toy you want it to be in conversation with the manager who picks the squad right it's like who okay who have you seen recently that you that thinks you think would slot in well who have you you know, who is on your radar, right? Like, you're not, and, you know, have you talked to the head of scouting? If there is one at Chelsea, I don't know their particular setup. I imagine there is. Yeah. You know, like, what conversations have you had? How do you feel your squad needs to be strengthened to, you know, be the best it can be next year? And those conversations probably took place in some way, shape, or form. And maybe Conte was disappointed with how they played out and, He's disappointed, of course, in how the season has played out. And so now he's making these comments, uh, maybe to shift the blame from himself, maybe to try actually to force his way out in the summer because he's a little disillusioned with life in England and wants to get back to Italy. Maybe some combination of the two. Maybe he just woke up on the wrong side of the bed and had bad muesli and was kind of pissed. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, muesli is delicious, but... (laughs) <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he got a bad batch of muesli. Uh, well, the thing is, too, that, you know, with all the rumors surrounding him, there's talk about maybe he'll return to the Italian national team. And I'm just having a hard time because he, in my book, he's a very, very good manager. I'm I'm just, I'm shocked why, well, why, yeah. he, why he's butting heads with the board at Chelsea. Well, I wonder, Seb, though, because I think that you, you may have just hit the nail on the head there because... If I'm Antonio Conte, and how I, I prefer a I prefer life in Italy. B, you know, I I came I came I saw I conquered, and then things got kind of sour, right? Like he is a champion of England, yep. and he always will be. And so, okay, we as I just said a moment ago, it is the most illustrious, most competitive league in the world, and he won it as a manager at club level. He sees, you know. The Azuri failed to make the World Cup historically. He takes over. He has, you know, a four-year stint as the Italian national team manager, a position that, of course, it has its own unique demands. You're very much in the national spotlight. But from strictly a 
you know, day to day, hour to hour level, you're a little bit less under the microscope. You have fewer matches to play. And you know what? He's, he's already beloved as the manager of the Italian national team. He comes back, he brings them back into the world cup. Maybe he makes a good run deep into the euros. Who knows? And then he cements his legacy. And at that point, you know, if, if he wants to pick up another club managerial job, he'll have his pick of pretty much the lot of them. And if he wants to just say, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to chill out in Tuscany for the rest of my life. He'll have had a phenomenal career, you know? So if I was him, I would say that is very, very attractive. And who knows, you know, maybe he's been in contact with the Italian football association and they've explicitly said, look, if you're on the outs at Chelsea, you should come back here and maybe that's what he wants. And so he's kind of sprinkling these seeds of dissent early on in order to try to force Abramovich's hand. Yeah. So big game coming up for Chelsea on the road against Manchester City. Right now, City or Chelsea sitting in fifth with 53 points, two points behind Spurs. So, you know, with, with the uh, clock winding down here, 10 games to go, they need to pick up some points here if they're going to mount a challenge for that elusive fourth place spot uh, if we go further down the table though a lot of interesting things here we got a game between Swansea and West Ham and that is a game that has some pretty big you know implications right now Swansea they're in the relegation zone 18th place 27 points West Ham they're in 13th place with 30 points. but yeah, yeah but I was gonna say they're they're in 13th place, but also Southampton, sitting on 27 points, have a better goal differential. Yep. And, you know, it's it's not unthinkable that two match days from now, West Ham could be staring down the barrel of relegation themselves. So it's uh, – this is – for a season in which – you know, and we've, we've talked about this on the show before. For a season in which – the title has been more or less done and dusted for months already, and we're barely into March. It is, it's a, one of the most exciting relegation, or at least it's shaping up to be, right? You know, s- smack bang mid table, let's say Watford in 10th, separated by only six points from Swansea in, ni- in 18th in the relegation zone. That's, that's bonkers. Yeah. You know, that's a two-game swing could see you squarely in the middle of the table of the Premier League to facing championship football next season. Yeah, another big game towards the bottom there. Like you said, Southampton, they do have a better goal differential than West Ham. They play Stoke at home. Stoke, second to last, 26 points. Just one point behind behind Southampton, though. So a lot of things going on there towards the end of the table. And, you know, seeing, like we said many, many times before, Stoke on paper, pretty decent side. They don't seem to get it together. Southampton, sort of the opposite there where they've sold off a lot of their, you know, as soon as someone makes it at Southampton, they are pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean, they do have some, still have some good players, but not quite the caliber that we've been used to seeing them having, and they're struggling yeah. a bit now. So that is a huge, huge game. That we should say that the Swansea game is on Saturday. That's on NBC Sports Gold. The Southampton Stoke game will be on CNBC. So uh, 
a lot of good things to look forward to. With that, let's jump into our scoring predictions. Let me read off the table as it sits right now, heading into game week 29. Pauly in the lead, 201. Elliot, second, 186. Sebastian, last, 182. Yeah, you're you're close though. We've got yeah. we've got a relegation battle of our own. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So to kick things off, we got Burnley against Everton on Saturday morning. That's a seven thirty a.m. kickoff. Burnley, I think I think they've been hard done here. They they dropped points late in their last game against yeah. Southampton. So I'm gonna give them the one nothing win at home against Everton. I think it's gonna turn around here a little bit for them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Turf Moor is a tough place to play, but I think Everton are at least going to do enough to nick a point. I'm going to say 1-1. I just feel bad for them. Very good start to the season. I mean, they're sitting, you know, they're sitting pretty. They're still in seventh place. But Yeah, no, I mean, but, they're they're above the relegation muck, and that's yeah, realistically that, where they wanted to be. So. Exactly, but that gap they had down to the teams chasing them is Getting closer and closer. I mean, they're only one point above Leicester right now and three points above Everton. So, yeah, things heating up there too in the middle of the table, I guess. Then Southampton against Stoke. Like we said, very important game. I do think it's going to end in a draw. I'm going 2-2 in this one. Ah, uh, You know, man, Seb, I might have to play defense on that one because that sounds intriguing and I don't want you to make up ground on me. So I'm going to... I'm going to join you on that, in part just because I want Shakiri to score a brace for my fantasy team. Ah, there we go. Oh, wow. I'm surprised you actually – I think I have one Southampton player in my team, but no yeah, Stoke I mean, players. I, well, I have one Stoke player, and it's Jordan Shakiri because he plays every game, and he's one of the few players who scores. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> then we got Leicester at home to Bournemouth. I mean, Leicester not in the best of form. They only have one win in the last five in the league, but I do think they're going to have enough to beat Bournemouth 2-1. to one. Uh, well, while picking for the sake of my fantasy team, I'd like to see Lester get a couple of goals, but I doubt it. I'm going to agree on the result, though. 1-0. 1-0. One nil. One nil to the Lester. Foxes at the King Power. Yep. Then we got Tottenham at home to Huddersfield. This is going to be a, a bit of a blowout. 4 nothing Spurs. Uh, no. 3-1 Spurs. See, look at me. Look at me being, being conservative with yeah. my choice. I mean, giving Huddersfield a goal, that's pretty bold. Yeah, I don't know. I on paper Tottenham's defense is phenomenal, uh, you know, from the guy between the sticks to the back line. But I, I just haven't been thoroughly impressed with them this season. I They're think not, that they give up some cheap goals. I don't, I don't know. I think this is going to be one of those games where Spurs has like eighty percent of the ball. That's possible, but yeah. that, but exactly, that's not mutually exclusive with them giving up a cheap goal. That's true. That's true. Yeah, anything can happen, especially on set pieces. Okay, then Swansea against West Ham. Going with the Swans here at home, 2-1. to one. Yeah. Yeah. I. Speaking of those mid-table falls from grace into the relegation battle, I, it's it, the thing is that Swansea have been so abysmal, but yet so consistently good in Wales. I'm going to give them... No, I'm going to give West Ham a point. 1-1, one, one, but they're still going to inch closer to to the championship. Okay, I got 1-1 one, one in our next game here. That's Watford against West Brom. Four losses in a row for West Brom. I think they'll, they'll get a point at least. 
Yeah, I think I'm going to go scoreless draw on this one. Scoreless draw, okay. Then Liverpool at home to Newcastle. I'm going 3 nothing for Liverpool. Mm. Give some, some you know, the red half of the Liverpudlians something to cheer for. Yeah. Uh, is there def- is Mignolet bad enough to let in a goal to Newcastle? He just might be. 3-1. to one. Oof. Okay. Yep. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Then Brighton against Arsenal. 2 nothing Arsenal. 1-1. Uh, no one one man. Oh I, wow. Okay. That's... Yeah, Ar- Arsenal. They, like they they could they could surprise me. I hope they do. I hope they they come out firing and they show that their quality is enough to beat the Gulls because it should be. But also, I as I was just saying, I don't believe in Arsene Wenger's ability to get these men up for a game. And occasionally, when he has them with their backs to the wall, he can fire them up. But you know, you just. You keep trying to say your backs are to the wall, and they eventually shrug and say, "Yeah, they have been all year. What do you want from us?" And I, I I'm, I'm picking on form, not on quality. But I, on form, Arsenal are abysmal away from home. They've been horrible in their last dozen matches. It's hard for me to see him winning a game. Okay. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Then that Manchester City Chelsea game. I'm going three two Manchester City. I think we're going to see some goals in this late winner. I think I agree with the margin, but not with the score line. I think that Chelsea are going to be up for it, not let City run all over. But two one City nonetheless. Two one City. Okay, and then we got on Monday Crystal Palace against Manchester United. I'm going three one Manchester United. A lot two of nil it, to the Red Devils. A lot of it because Crystal Palace form big big slump after that initial boost from getting Roy in. Yeah, I, I think that I think man, you keep a clean sheet on the back of David De Gea. So, oh, don't underestimate. See, you're you're saying that Arsenal they have a tendency to muck up or screw up sometimes in defense. So does United. So that's true. That's yep. true. That's why we'll I give see. Crystal Palace a goal. Okay, with that, we're gonna say goodbye. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Elliot is Keith was better. Paulie is P Costello. Give Fanrig Sports a follow as well. And we'll talk to you again after the weekend. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye.